Everyone, welcome back to Here in Apologetics. It's always brought to you by you with your support on Patreon.com. Today, I'm joined by Tim with the Invoking Theism YouTube channel and Joshua Yen from Apologetics for All. We're going to be talking about rationality rules as response. I think it's the third rebuttal in this like long, crazy column debate he's having with Cameron Bertuzzi. Um, so we're going to be div- diving into second of his rebuttal which is where he talks about um tim's baby the argument from limits and responding to that and then there's a link down below if you want to listen to the full rebuttal and you can find the full debate from there but what's up guys how you doing great man thanks for having me same here i'm doing good thanks this should be a lot of fun um so just to start off i let's just before we get into this video do you guys just have like general thoughts you want to cover before we get into um some of steven's like specific objections Yeah. So, um, you know, I thought it was, um, you know, I thought it was an interesting attempt, honestly, um, at um, trying to um, provide counters to feeders for this kind of uh, style of argument. Um, I got the impression that the argument was somewhat downplayed and um, he wasn't all that familiar um, and as, as we will kind of see through that, that was my impressions. Um, but I think that this ultimately serves as uh, a way to help people really think about uh, what is actually, what this argument is actually aiming to do, uh, what it's showing, and how it can also help um, just how we think about um, the ontology of and nature of uh, the foundations and things of that sort. And so, so that's that's all I'm going to say on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I that's think I well, I, th- I think I don't have much different to say than Tim, but then sometimes it's just like, and this is not, not like to argue against Steven or anything like that. So it's just like, sometimes I don't really understand what he's saying. I have to watch it a few times. I'm not sure if it's because my English, but sometimes I don't know. It might just be because he's not pre- like presenting it in a way that I I understand it that well or or stuff like mm-hmm. that. And yeah, sometimes it's like, I have to watch like the entire thing and I'm like, wait a sec, his arguments kind of like, it takes a, a long step to get to where he's trying to go. If you got what I mean. Yeah. I know. Yeah. What I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And props to Steven, at least though, um, for at least attacking the argument from limits. Like this is a lot more like high level stuff than what you'll see in like a typical, like YouTube debate. Um, but if you guys yeah. have nothing else, let's get into his response. Okay, so let's move on to the second premise of my argument. For reference, it says that if there is a first cause, then God exists. In defense of his second premise, Cameron provides premises 9 through 12, and much of our focus has revolved around premise 9, that if there is a first cause, then it has no limits. And in defense of premise 9, Cameron has given us his argument from limit, premises 15 through 16. In support of my premise 9, I argue that anything that is limited has a cause. So this premise, premise 13, has been our primary contention. And unfortunately, I think it served as another... Yeah. Okay, so I think this is a good good, good um, part to just clarify. Premise 13 here is an introduction of a uh, new kind of causal principle. So it's not just an ordinary premise being brought in. This is a causal principle on its own. That anything that is limited has a cause. So I think that's important to... Um, to for a framework and in, in, in thinking about this that we have to understand that uh this is an introduction of a new causal principle and this causal principle is going to um 
do the rest of the work to get the rest of the way done. So I just wanted to put that there. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's going to be helpful because you get into some of his objections and parodies he brings up and is talking about really this first premise. So, For instance, of us talking past each other. Given this, I'm going to take some time to really spell out what my object is. Take Cameron's argument from limits and, as we have before, replace all instances of the word limited with exists. Premise 13. Anything that exists has a cause. Premise 14. If the first cause exists, then it has a cause. Premise 15. The first cause does not have a cause, from the definition of first cause. Therefore, the first cause does not exist. Right. This is where it gets really interesting. Um, so maybe we'll start with you, Tim. We can kind of talk about our thoughts here as he gives like this parody argument. What do you what do you what are your thoughts? If this is supposed to be clever, um I I don't I don't see it. Um uh this is um it, it, it there is a relevant difference between limited and exists here. Um, even though it's following the same logical form, there's a there's a difference between what these two words mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting because um, he tries to set it up like they're like parallel arguments, but they're yeah. really not. Like there's a big difference between um, anything that exists has a cause and anything that is limited having a cause. Um, and it can get to this whole like infinite regress thing, which, you know, he talks about in like different parts of the, this video that we're not getting into today. But like there's a really big difference here between saying uh, anything that exists has a cause and anything that is limited has a cause. So it's just kind of, yeah. it just doesn't, it's not a good parody, um, but he'll get into it more. Josh, do you have anything you want to add? I think it's just like, I'm not sure if I'm getting it wrong, but it seems that he's thinking that you can defeat any modus tollens argument by just changing one of like the parts of it. And it's mm -hmm. like, where, where did you get the idea from? Like, you can't just say like, if P then Q, that P therefore Q, and then just change any other part into P and Q and just say like, anything that is a fish has a cause. Like you can't do that. It's, it's not, it's not a logical form of argument. Yeah, it's not a way right. you use modus tollens. You, like it's imagine if someone raises like a modus ponens argument and says like let's just use a kalam for example if, if something begins to exist there is a cause the universe began to exist like it would not be a proper parody or a response to say just input anything into it and say if if pixies exist then Hong Kong is twenty times larger than America pixies exist therefore Hong Kong is twenty times larger than America therefore the kalam is wrong like come on guys. <laughs> That's not how. That's not how you respond to modus tollens or modus ponens arguments. <laughs> like I, I'm just quite confused when he raised that in the first time. I was like, "Wait, what?" Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I think it, it like gets into like if we're gonna talk about like his first like premise third for his thirteen anything that exists has a cause. It kind of gets into I think like that idea of like contingency versus like necessity. Like if there's nothing necessary. And everything's just like brute contingency. Um, you were messaging me a little bit about this, Tim. Like that just seems like like a very complex hypothesis where you keep adding and adding and adding. And if you say like everything's necessary, um, they, everything exists with a cause and infinite regress and whatever, then you have like everything being like necessary and you have like modal collapse. And that's kind of like you don't want that either. So yeah. it's kind of yeah. You would you would have a a causal uh, a um you'd have an infinite regress, a causal infinite regress that 
um, is ultimately brutally contingent. Um, because if they all have causes and there is no uh, there is no terminus for those causes, then it is all a brute contingency all the way down. And um, when I'm thinking about explanation, this is one of the reasons why I don't um, why I find the infinite regress to be a non-explanation for me is is that um, it's the problem of irrelevant differences, um, mm-hmm. which is it's interesting to think about why, um, how you could even have an infinite regress of things that are ultimately dependent. Now, of course, that's where the whole bruteness part comes in, but then you get into, well, how do we even begin to identify whether or not it is brute in the first place? What allows us to say that it's ultimately the, the causal infinite regress is ultimately inexplicable all the way down. I don't see that as a good explanation. Um, I think that we should um, uh, try to minimize um, as many unexplained facts as we possibly can in our explanations, in our theories, ultimately. And um, so that's that's why for me, any infinite regress uh, uh, explanation is ultimately not going to be a good explanation and I can find better ones. So that's all I'm going to say on that. Yeah, do you guys have anything else you want to add before we look at like this next little bit here? All good, yeah. All right, let's keep going. 14 and 15 modus tollens. Likewise, Cameron's argument from limits, my argument from existence is valid. But unlike Cameron's argument, mine doesn't require you to assume the existence of something we have absolutely no examples of. This is interesting. It's like, it's almost like from like, a lot of times when I talk to like skeptics about, um, especially online, like contingency versus necessity, it's like we have no um, examples of a necessary being. Like we just have, we, we can't prove that there's anything necessary, like things yeah. like that. So what do you think of like that kind of bit? We talked about like the validity of his argument, but like what about that little bit he has on? Yeah, I, I, what does he mean by examples? If he, if he is smuggling in, um, full-blown unadulterated materialism then what he really means is we have no physical examples of non-limited things um mm-hmm. if you because if you don't take this uh, full uh, this kind of philosophical materialism then of course we have we have examples we have examples from reason in our own reason we have direct access to what would what would count as necessary truths truth things that are true across all possible worlds right um, you know, logical truths, mathematical truths, um, the, 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 uh, you know, these are the principles by which we would reason by which we would do these things. So we have these necessary truths, universals. Um, I don't know if I said mathematical truths, but mathematical truths, if I didn't say it. Um, so we have reason to appeal to. Um, but if, if, if they simply mean that, oh, we don't have a physical reference, like right in front of my face, right? Like AJ Air type um, logical positivism, verificationism, then ultimately you are special pleading. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I don't, I don't, I don't think that um, that that uh, that's correct. If that's what he means by that, and even even if I can even grant that, I can just say, well, this is an inference. You know, before we had any examples of um, atoms go back all the way to the Arist- to the Aristotle versus Democritus debate. 
whether whether or not um, the world is made out of the four elements or they're made out of democracy uh, and atoms, like atomism, um, that he proposed. Um, we didn't discover uh, atoms until way later past those guys, but Democritus proposed this idea that, hey, there's these things called atoms. Well, it wasn't exactly like how Democritus said it, but he proposed the idea there that everything's composed of these um, simple objects called atoms. Well, eventually we were able to verify that there is such thing called an atom. Um, so it's just inference. Um, that's it's un, un, non-trivial for me. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, I, I agree with what Tim said. Yeah, I, I, I don't think, I don't see how he could possibly like, yeah, I, I, I agree with Tim said. Yeah. And I say anything, I'll probably repeat what he said already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The only thing I could think of to add is just like he talks about like having um like this like Im almost like imperial verification of these premises and like camera anything that is limited has a cause in that sense wouldn't be would be empirically verified because limited things in our experiences are the product of causes which explains why they're limited so it's like if we're going to follow that all the way through it also support cameron's premise as well as steven's so yeah we'll keep on going here the uncaused as Cameron said himself, absolutely nothing, like no object at all in our experience is uncaused. Indeed, I can even employ the exact same inductive generalization as Cameron. That part of the reason why we think that rocks, branches, and people, and cars, and mountains have causes is because they exist. Thus, and to bring Ockham back into the swing, I would maintain that my argument from existence is objectively a better proposal than Cameron's argument from limits since it makes less assumptions. Right. What do you think? Of, what do you think about that kind of little bit there? Oh, <laughs> I could feel Tim. All right. Nothing explains everything. That's the simplest theory of every that you can possibly come up with. Mm -hmm. Why don't we say that? Because it's too simple to the point where it doesn't explain anything. I, I mean, I, I, he, he, he's saying that he has some weird theoretical advantage in terms of saying existence, right? But no, because it gets back to our brute contingency problem. You start multiplying infinite unexplained facts to explain re existence and reality um, versus um, what Cameron's ultimately advocating for, which is um, ultimately limits are explicable. Therefore, the terminus for limits has to be something that's non-limited. Very few principles we have to appeal to. Um, and um, something that without limits is simpler than something with limits. So it uh, seems like the correct terminus to me. Um, I, I, I just, I just, I think he's just trying to be clever here. And I, I, it's just not working for me. Yeah, building on what uh, Tim was saying, like, I think this is also what he kind of tries to do throughout his video. He's like, oh, this, like, uh, causal, non causal finitism is is more simple than causal finitism. And it just doesn't seem to make too much sense from an ontological standpoint, because if you say causal finitism is true, then it seems that there would only be a finite number of states of affairs and also hence a finite number of like beings or entities within this, this like world, unless you think that there could be an actually infinite number of entities within a, in one state of affair, which is possible, but that's for something else. But like, if you have causal infinitism where you have an infinite past or infinite causal regress, 
what you then have is an actually infinite number of states of affairs, which seems to be at least prima facie more more complex or has more ontological commitments than uh, than than causal finitism. Although there's also different things they could add to it, but it just seems that when you have causal finitism and non-causal finitism, you have one of them, causal finitism, which is more simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just seems like yeah, I agree with you, Josh. It just to me, at least, it just seems like if you're going to follow Steven's route all the way through, you're going to have to commit to like this infinite regress, which you could say is possible, but it just adds so much like brute contingency things that just exist because they're brute um, that are just limited. And it just seems like it's a lot more complex. I don't get really get where Steven's getting this idea that it's his causal principle would really be simpler. Yeah. Maybe it, it, he assume- could have it be simpler, but it, but simple without being able to explain anything mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's, that's the whole point in our explanations we're, we're supposed to say you know um if it can still account for the data and it's simpler than its rival um than its uh rival hypotheses then then that is to be preferred um mm-hmm. but it, it doesn't say um make everything simple as you can uh that if you do that then like i said before my uh, my earlier example uh what explains the existence of everything nothing Mm-hmm. that's that's the simplest you don't have to appeal to properties you don't have to appeal to something to being you don't have to appeal to anything in existence it literally nothing explains a non-being explains everything that is the simplest hypothesis you could ever come up with but it doesn't explain anything that's the problem it's too simple that it doesn't explain anything mm-hmm. and likewise that's what he's doing here I think it gets a little bit um because I read a little bit of you and Kyle's paper where you're kind of like responding to Grant Oppie's best argument against God and it's like um, in a sense, Stevens' principle would be simpler in that one area because he's saying exists instead of anything that's limited. Um, but then you have all these other areas about what explanatory depth and such, and then that's where we get into a lot of these issues. Um, but yeah, if you guys don't have anything else, keep going. Yeah. Assumes the uncaused, whereas mine doesn't. Ironically enough, mine merely relies on the inductive generalization that Cameron's been defending throughout. To expand upon this issue further, note that since everything we experience has a cause, we can employ the same inductive generalization in relation to pretty much anything. Pick an attribute or quality. Now, as a truly, thoroughly unlimited thing, it would have no limit in power. Alrighty, power it is. We have countless examples of things with power, and so far as we can tell, all of them have a cause. We can thus reasonably infer, so says Cameron's logic, that probably every instance of power has a cause. So let's replace the word limited with powerful. 13. Any that is powerful has a cause. Premise 14. If the first cause is powerful, then it has a cause. Premise 15. The first cause does not have a cause, from the definition of first cause. Therefore, the first cause is not powerful. 14 and 15 modus tollens. In- all right. All what do you think about Stephen's argument? All right. All right. 14, 15 modus tollens. Like, bro, you just won. Like, just say modus tollens and everything. You get everything you want. No, I'm sorry. I'm gonna have to be. A, I'm gonna have to do some tough love here, bro. We're, we're we're referring to the ontological status of something that it does exist. Um, um. So there's gonna be so something with something. Power is attached to the thing that has power. Um, mm-hmm. It's parasitic on the thing that has it, right? Um, so something that is limited or non-limited is going to be prior to it having power. 
So we, when, we, when we think about it like that, again, these aren't equivalent arguments happening here. Being powerful is very different. Having power, see how he says it, um, being powerful is powerful. Power is something that something has. So we, um, things in existence have causal powers, right? But we're, but the referent is towards that thing that does exist. So the problem here is that he's he's saying that these things are equivalent in nature and they're not. Um, mm -hmm. One is the ontological status of the thing that exists, the nature of that thing um, versus um, what that thing can, how that thing can exercise its nature. That's ultimately what we're talking about. So this is just getting this mixed up. Yeah, definitely. I, I also think that one thing he has to note is that when you're doing like the first premise, the causal principle, like the attribute or the property that you're talking about somehow needs to have a direct connotation or a, di a, direct, a direct link to why it is either cause or uncaused. Like its limits like has a contribution or leads to the thing being caused or uncaused. Powerful is not why the thing is caused or uncaused. Like it's not because it is powerful that it has a cause. It's due to another property like limits, which leads it to have a cause. So I think I'll agree with, and I think this is just building on Tim's thing. It's, it's a, it's just like a false analogy. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. I just wonder like, is the argument from like the argument from exists a little better? Like, I just don't get this one because like, even if everything that you guys just said was false, like there's just no reason to accept his first premise. Anything that is powerful has a cause. Like, it's just like, I, lo I looked at that. I'm just like, why think that's true? Like, at least with like the argument from limits, we have these good reasons to think that limited things have causes. Um, it just intuitively makes sense. You have the idea of, let's say that there's just a limited foundation. Like, why is it that way versus maybe unit more, unit less? Um, it's like the power. I just don't understand with really what he's going with the power argument. Um, right. Yeah. And, it, and it has to be, he's, he's just saying anything that is powerful. Well, well, that, that's too vague. Um, mm -hmm. what do you, what do you, are you talking about? How much degree of power does this one thing have? When you say it's powerful, are you like, what do you mean? Is it, is it, um, is there a particular, does the, does the thing's power have an upper bound? In terms of how much it can exercise its causal powers, or does it not have an upper bound? Is it unbounded or is it bounded? Um, and which gets back to the argument from limits. Is the uh, is um, is let's let's take because um, it's going to get into it later. Let's take the multiverse generator that's governed by meta laws, right? This thing can produce ten to the five hundred universes out of its powers. It can exercise that kind of power, but it can't produce ten to the five hundred one universes. Well, the thing is powerful. But it's going to beg and even it's going to it's going to call out for an explanation um, even more so, which is okay. But but why does it have only that much power? So mm -hmm. um, we have to talk about um, are we talking about finite power, infinite power, bounded power, unbounded power, and and these things? So he needs to be more specific um, because um, he can make this argument. Yeah, it is valid because it's modus tollens, right? But mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you're going to have to do a lot more work for this parody to work. That's why, you know, when you, it, it, it's like um, people like uh, Graham Oppie who, who expose um, 
what is it? Reverse ontological arguments, anti-ontological arguments or things of that sort. You know, mm -hmm. they are trying to um, really put forth, try to build out this parody in all of its premises and all of its conclusions, right? Well, all we're getting here is we're just having the word switch. And he's saying that this is the defeater somehow, even though it's not really doing what he thinks it's doing. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any other thoughts you guys want to add before we keep going? All right, let's keep going. In knowledge, yes, good shout. Let's replace the word limited with knowledge. For everything we've ever seen with knowledge has a cause. We now have a valid argument stating that the first cause has no knowledge. In goodness. I'll keep going here for a second. Goodness, that good one. Okay, let's just put them in and there we go. And just like that, we have a valid argument demonstrating that the first cause can't be good. Or right, I, I think that Stephen... His his idea like of like the wrong with his argument is it's just we're like putting properties into anything that like uh, that exists like let's just say like I think Stephen would probably agree that it's obvious that anything um, that is limited has a cause be like well there's all these other things that also apply to things that have causes like maybe like knowledge or existence or things and it's just like it's just not the same thing um, it's kind of what I'm trying to understand here I haven't listened to the full debate so I really don't know what Cameron's arguing but like when I think about it it's just like these like limits versus like goodness or existence or things like that. They're just not the same thing. Yeah. And um, what Josh argues in it, what Josh argues in his book, when he introduces the argument from limits is he basically, he, his last premise, his, his conclusion is that anything that um, something that's non-limited that explains the limits is going to be something that's perfect. Mm -hmm. Well, goodness um, maximal power, maximal knowledge flow from perfection, flow from mm -hmm. actual perfection, something that's absolutely supreme, something with non-limits, because something that's non-limited would be one, purely actual, and two, purely positive. So these things, so goodness and knowledge actually just flow from, they follow from being non-limited. That's ultimately what, how, what Josh is arguing for in his book. So this is interesting what Stephen's trying to do here without understanding the dialectic happening in yeah. the background. I think it's an interesting objection and I applaud him for bringing this forward because it's not something yeah. I've really thought about a lot before I listened to like this video, but I, ju I just don't really think it works. But wh what do you think, Josh? Yeah, I think you're perhaps a bit more charitable to him than I am. I just <laughs> looked at that and I said, this guy doesn't know the difference between what's a valid argument and what's a sound argument. But then, of course, I, 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 I might just be looking at it as a bit too face value kind of approach to it because mm -hmm. yeah so uh, if i were to like steel man steven here i think what what he would say is um why think that anything that is limited has a cause has to be true um because we could say that anything that exists has a cause anything that is good has a cause things like that so it's just like why think that the foundation wouldn't be limited versus just like just being limited um and it's because it just seems like everything is limited so kind of like there's a limited brute fact and that's it like how do you respond to like that kind of like objection that steven might be trying to bring forth well yeah well first you'd have to do two things the first thing you have to do is he would have to provide some some counter examples some undercutting defeater for why we should not think that all limits um um, that certain things with certain limits don't have um, a, a cause, or as Josh builds out, um, a further non-circular explanation. Because mm -hmm. if my phone being limited has a cause, all these different things has a cause, 
then um, they're they're similar. Um, we, what, we, what we have is we have a bunch of limited things that have causes. But then what Stephen's ultimately going to have to say is that, yes, but the foundation doesn't. Well, why? Why, why, why does the foundation being limited, even though it's limited, why does it um, have to be something? Why does it exempt itself from having a further non-circular explanation? And then you get back into an irrelevant difference problem, which is there, if, if limits are uniformly alike across the board, then there is no relevant difference between the foundation being non-limited, sorry, from the down from the foundation being limited and everything else that is limited. So mm -hmm. the foundation too should have a further non-circular explanation, but then it wouldn't be the foundation. Now, so then he'd have to provide some further ex uh, argumentation for why it would be able to exempt itself from being alike, like all the other limits. Um, he would, pr uh, if he's going to go down the naturalist route, he would opt in for something like an initial world segment or something like that. Um, like the first sequence of events, mm -hmm. um, the initial state, the initial sequence of, of causal events would itself uh, be limited, but it wouldn't have further non-circular explanation. Well, again, it being an initial in this segment, um, all you're pointing out, Andrew Look points this out when he critiques Graham Oppie, which is he says, just by being first in the sequence doesn't make it anything, doesn't make it relevantly different than everything else in the sequence. It's just first mm -hmm. in the sequence. We don't, we don't say that God doesn't have a cause because he's first in the sequence. That's, that's not why we argue God is uncaused. No one's ever argued that. Mm -hmm. Um, we argue that it's because he's beginningless. That he doesn't have a cause, right? Not that he's first in a sequence in an initial world segment. So um, those are the those are the problems that he's going to have to have to overcome and provide for the argumentation for. And I don't think he does this here. Right. Hey, you have anything else you want to add, Josh? Before we go on to the next uh, little bit here, I think not not nothing much really. But I think there's something apart from like I might spoil the rest of the video for you guys, but. <laughs> There was a thing called, like, I think at the end of the day, I'm not even sure if he believes that his own arguments or parodies are raising that works either. Because, like, at the end, he kind of just says, well, the argument from limits is just begging the question. So, mm -hmm. so I was like, so I think we're probably going to get to that very soon. So I probably wouldn't say too much about it. But I was just yeah. wondering whether he actually believed in the argument from goodness that he raises or is he just, like, taking the absolute mickey out of it. I'm I, Like, to be honest, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I think Steven just thinks that, it, well, one, it's begging the question. And even if it wasn't, we have all these parodies that kind of like knock it out, kind of like the onological parodies. Um, we do have a chat, Alex. So thank you so much, Alex. And thank you for cutting off Josh's face for a moment as I pulled that off screen. Um, <laughs> appreciate that. So thank you so much. I really appreciate your support um, and I hope you're enjoying. Uh, but let's get into Steven's next uh, little bit here. Or in other words, the first cause is a bad boy. So why is it that we can plug into Cameron's argument from limits pretty much whatever we want the first cause or first causes to have? The answer is, the argument is begging the question via contraposition. In logic and mathematics, the logically equivalent, the contrapositive of the form if P then Q, is not Q then not P. Take, for instance, the assertion that all humans, P, were born Q. The contrapositive of this statement is, anything that was not born, not Q, is not human not be. Now let's take Cameron's 13th premise, which is his first in his argument from limits, that anything that is limited, P, has a right, cause, Q. The logical equivalent. For a mm -hmm. Only if you are not a good 
um, you are not good with analytic philosophy. Because what I would say is all humans are born if and only if and along lines of, of parameters about what that means so that you don't make a silly argument, a simple argument like that. Um, that, I mean, it's like, it's like, this is what philosophers do. They, they if they want to make a good argument, they have to say, if there's, if there's say, um, all, um, I forget what he said. Anything that's born, um, is human or whatever. He's no, human, you wouldn't, yeah. you, you wouldn't ever say that because that's just, that's just not, that's just bad. Mm -hmm. Um, that's just not correct. Um, and so you can, you can insert whatever you want and use contraposition to show the other side. Right. But the problem is, is that you got to start with some more first printable stuff here, which is, wait, wait, wait a minute. Let's go back. What, what are your premises actually saying? That's mm -hmm. the problem. Like what are the yeah. content of your premises that you're using to expose through contraposition? That's the problem here. I think just like, we'll get into this a little bit more as he gets to the baiting question idea, but it just comes down to like, is the premise true? Um, like in this whole video, like Steven gives like his like little parodies and he gives like, he says it's begging the question, but it's just like, he doesn't give anything to think that the premise isn't true, at least from like my knowledge of the video. Um, so that's kind of my thought. Do you have anything you want to add Josh before we look at the rest of this? No, all good. All right. Limits that anything that is limited P has a cause Q. The logical equivalent of this is that anything that does not have a cause, not Q, is not limited, not right. And since this is quite literally the very thing Cameron's trying to prove, his argument from limits is begging the question. In other words, he's trying to prove that anything that does not have a cause is not limited, and the logical equivalent of one of his premises is anything that does not have a cause is not limited. Now, So, is, no. is Cameron begging the question, Tim? N no. Not at all. Um, no, he, he's not at all. I mean, I mean, if you think about what it means to be a first cause, if the first cause can't have a cause, then there is something, something that is exempting itself from having a cause. Well, anything that is, has limits have a, has a cause. So something that's not limited doesn't have a cause. So the first cause would then not have to have limits because if it did have limits, then it would have a cause and it wouldn't be a first cause. So he's not begging the question. He's just exposing that just because the argument supports Cameron's conclusion doesn't mean he's begging the question. It just shows that the nature of being a first cause would mean that it can't have a cause for his existence. Why? Well, one of those things would be that any it wouldn't have limits because it, what we know is all lim, all um, anything that does have a limit has a further non-circular explanation. So, but, but because the first cause doesn't have that, well, a part of it is the reason that it's, it can't have limits. It's not going to have limits. So, no. Do you have anything you would add, Josh? No, I think Tim summarized it pretty well. Yeah. I just think it's like, it seems like like in these videos, um, and this isn't just Steven, but like a lot of times like people are just so interested in like trying to point out fallacies like boom i caught you doing this fallacy you're exposed your arguments trash like go home and that's just not like how this works um so yeah it's just a, it's a little frustrating oh to see. i also want to say this bro steven grant a first cause as an atheist dude like that's a, like you can literally grant there being a first cause on 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 naturalism most mm -hmm. naturalist philosophers do like grandma Oppie. 
like uh, Felipe Leon. Um, they all agree that there is a first cause. Um, uh, rest in peace, uh, Quentin Smith. They all argue that there was a first cause. It just wasn't God. Um, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I mean, that's where we're at now, which is philosophy of religion has progressed that that theists and atheists both agree in, in um, academic philosophy that on stage one, which is that there is a first cause. Now, stage two is about the nature of the first cause. Is the first cause personal? Is it a mind? You know, or is it not? That's 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 where the real debate lies. I I would not be I would not be spending my time arguing against the existence of a first cause. That um, that doesn't seem right to me. Um, there are plenty of naturalistic options on, on on the table for what the first cause could be. Mm -hmm. um, so I just don't even think this is the right way to go about it. I, I, and I would I would wonder if Stevens even familiar with that kind of argumentation. Um, if he's not, and he ever watches this, the book is God the best explanation of things. It's a conversation between Josh Rasmussen, theist Christian, Doctor Felipe Le versus uh, Felipe Leon, atheist naturalist. And they both put forth their ideas about what is the ultimate explanation of reality. Um, so there's lots you can choose from, man. And I just wouldn't be going down this route. I wouldn't be arguing against the first cause in the first place. Um, but, you know, but, um, but either way. Mm -hmm. I just wonder, like, um, like, let's just say, like, let's say Cameron's arguments don't work and there's no good argument against like an infinite regress. Um, and we have these two options here where we have this like infinite regress where like everything's contingent, um, just brute contingency. Um, cause I don't think you'd say that everything is necessary or you have the second option. Like, well, no, there's just a first cause and it's necessary and everything that flows from that is contingent. And we have these two things on the table. It seems like the necessary idea of like there being a first cause just makes more sense intuitively. Um, even just apart from argumentation. Right. Yeah, seriously. Mm -hmm. All right, let's keep going here. Now, as already mentioned, the defense Cameron has given for this extraordinary claim is the inductive generalization. Since everything morphed limited the cause, we can infer that probably all limited things have causes. I just I just picked this up, but he so he calls Cameron's claim extraordinary, right? That anything that is limited has a cause, right? It's pretty modest. Like he, Mm -hmm. He says that he says that's extraordinary, but then I think that if you're gonna follow um, this infinite regress true, then everything exists has a cause. Um, it's a brute fact that, and it just goes past infinite. That seems pretty extraordinary too. So I don't, I don't really think that like Stephen has this like very simple explanation. Um, just something I picked up and just. Yeah. I agree. And admittedly, this intuitively comes across as a humble claim, but it isn't for the same reason that replacing the word limited with existence isn't a humble claim. To be clear, there's good reason for us to operate with the assumption that if something exists, it's probably got a cause. But the claim that anything that exists has a cause doesn't embody this humility. To the contrary... Wait, why, why, does, it, why does he think that it doesn't embody so he's, that? He humor? has a problem with saying... He's a, he has a problem... He has a problem with the scope of the causal principle. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a problem with saying anything, it sounds like. Um, anything in this category has a cause. So whatever contained in that category have a cause. He doesn't like that, it doesn't seem. Um, maybe keep playing. Maybe he explains more. Mm -hmm. Prairie, this is a very, very bold claim. 
but it looks innocent until one recognizes the contraposition. The last thing I want to say on this topic. I don't think he does. Um, Cause yeah. Do you have anything you want to add there? Yeah. He, um, he doesn't like the scope of the causal principle. Mm -hmm. um, we have our, we have this um, category. We have the set L and um, all members of L have a further non-circular explanation or cause for their existence. Mm -hmm. So whatever explains the category L is going to not be itself a part of the category L or else they would have a cause and explanation for its existence. So the whole category L cannot be explained by um, what's, what, what is contained within L. He wouldn't, he doesn't like that. Um, and I guess that's just his personal, uh, you know, his just his, personal thoughts i am uh uh josh what do you think man well i think that if i think if you look at what he says quite like a moment before he seems to not really present uh cam's arguments that well because he says like this statement is not very is not is is intuitively modest but it isn't and then when he says this statement he says everything that exists has a cause, which really isn't what Cam's saying, if you got what I mean. Like, mm -hmm. his, he's, like, he's kind of, like, said, Cam, he's been using Cam's um, argument from limits the entire time, and once once it gets to the final conclusion, he's, he throws away the argument and limits and then says Cam is claiming that everything that everything that exists is has a but cause. I thought it was no valid. I thought it was modus tollens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I love like... Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that like what he's trying to say here is like if he goes with like his causal print, like Cam has this idea, this premise, everything that is limited has a cause, right? Um, and he and he says, well, I can just get bring my premise um, that everything that exists has a cause, and it's simpler um, because things can maybe exist that aren't limited and they have a cause, or I don't really know exactly what he's arguing here, but it seems like he's fine accepting like a PSR there, um, but he just doesn't want to go as far as Cameron is to say limited things um, always have a cause, but it seems like he's willing to grant at least in this little bit here, that everything that exists has a cause, which is interesting because I don't know how you get to that and then deny Cam's first premise. Yeah, it's weird. He's like saying that like things have causes, but to say that everything has a cause is not humble and it's not modest and it's too broad or something like that. Like he, like Cameron can't, can't say that everything that is limited has this. So, but if Cameron's logic is valid, then it follows because it is a deductive argument. Mm -hmm. It follows inescapably from the premises that what Cameron's conclusion is. So Stephen would actually have to dispute the entire principle itself mm -hmm. to get away from the conclusion. He would have to come up with a defeater for the principle itself. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't do so. So that's what he would have to do. He would have to come up with exceptions, um, something like that. I think that like, just thinking about it, like it just really comes down to the first premise. Like is Cam's premise true? Like anything that is limited has a cause. And he hasn't really, like he, he brings these parodies like existence, but you know, you could just say there's a first cause and that would defeat his argument from existence. And you know, that's 
like probably what most of the rest of this debate is about. And then like his knowledge and goodness things, like they just, they don't work. Um, the existence one has a little bit, I, I can understand, but I just, with the knowledge and goodness, I just don't get it at all. Um, and maybe I'm just dumb, but it's just, it just doesn't seem like it works. And it just really comes down to is the first premise true that cam brings um in his parodies it's the same question there's really good reason to doubt in steven's parodies do you have any thoughts josh yeah i mean i i, I just don't think he's really responded to cam's argument his entire i think he put too much emphasis on his parodies which don't really work instead of actually responding to the individual premises mm -hmm. so i think that fundamentally in order to actually defeat Cameron's argument, he would have to do something more about individual premises instead of continue focusing on these random parodies. Because, I mean, yeah, you could raise random parodies of the entire form of modus tollens for like infinite, for like your entire life, but that wouldn't prove a single thing. So, yeah, I, 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 don't, I think Stephen just has to take um, another, another approach. John, uh, John Dunford, JMD Apologetics, he, um, he messaged me. He said that, um, we need to get his card. We need to get uh, Stephen Woodford's card game so that we can educate ourselves. That's probably <laughs> our problem here. That's probably why we're not getting this. We need to buy his card game. <laughs> oh my god! And I'll keep it brief. Is that Cameron's claim that I didn't provide any new objections to his argument from limits in my second rebuttal? Stephen provided no new objections to my second premise. Is simply not true. Following this example, let's take Cameron's argument from limits and replace the word limited with good and not limited with not good. Okay. I mean, I don't think there's really anything for us to respond to there, but it's just them in the debate, um, with, you know, trying to make their points and whatsoever. Um, yeah, he, um, he, yeah, that was really interesting. So he says something actually, can you pull it back up? Yeah. Yeah. You want me to, how far you want me to go? Back? Uh, go, go, um, forward just a bit. Wait forward. Yeah, go forward just a bit because towards the end he 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 says something again about. All right, all right go go back, go back. Uh, start there. Right here. Yeah, yeah. Self or some part of the totality exists without a cause. Right. So in my model, the grand universe, whether it consists of a multiverse or whatever, is uncaused. It's existed forever. Whereas in Cameron's model, either the gods are just part of the grand universe that's existed forever, and so they didn't create everything else, or they are the only thing that exists that's uncaused, and everything else exists because they were caused by the gods. But in such a case, Occam wants another word. My model makes one assumption, that the totality of everything is uncaused, whereas Cameron's model makes many assumptions, namely that the only thing or things that are uncaused are beings that are unlimited in power, unlimited in knowledge, unlimited in goodness, and so on, and so on, and so on. I would drop this mic, but... All right, so, there we go. Oh, actually, my favorite part, my favorite part. All right. <laughs> we should just respond to the totality of section then. <laughs> yeah, Stephen actually presents an alternative model of reality. An alternative theory. Dude, nice. All right, sweet. Except it has many problems. Steven, I want to build your worldview. I want to help you out here. Cameron agreed that the totality of everything cannot have a cause because it's literally mm -hmm. a logical contradiction that there could be things outside the totality of everything. So the, totality like of the first few chapters of Josh's book, how reason can lead to God. Exactly. It's a very first principle. It's a fundamental principle kind of foundations here. Think about the foundations here that um, nothing can exist outside the totality of everything. Mm -hmm. If so, 
then um then um reality itself uh the totality of reality itself is uncaused um so he agreed with that so um so because he agreed and cameron agreed with that stephen tried to do something different by saying well no i actually think that he took that to mean that all of its contents are themselves uncaused and exist forever now whoa that is not what we're saying here we're just saying that when you take reality itself you can't have anything outside of reality that would be reality right so mm -hmm. that can't have a cause right um reality proceeds from the foundations right there is an initial state for the universe any universe right so we both agree but stephen wants to wants to employ this multiverse that is uncaused that has been around forever now think about that that is not a simple theory that's not an elegant mm -hmm. theory let's not even get into the different views of simplicity when it comes to theories let's just think about that one that entails modal collapse if everything is uncaused if the entire multiverse is uncaused it means that it's always been the way it has been forever which means that it's actually um nothing's actually related to one another because everything's uncaused so it's actually an illusion to us that anything has a cause they just exist that way as an uncaused so if if the entire multiverse is uncaused and doesn't need an explanation then the entire multiverse is necessary then everything is necessary you couldn't have had one more cheeto in your um cheeto bag because that is necessary it has to be that way um and then think about the amount of universes, the amount of particles and, and things of that sort being just uncaused. That's a really, if you're, you, if you're positing all of that as your explanation of reality, that is not a simple theory. You have to Versus, pose like an infinite amount of necessary things, it would seem like. Exactly. And they're all uncaused, not related to each other. So um, it even gets into epistemological problems, which is then he should be a solved, he, I, I, it would be like all his brain states are uncaused. So it's an illusion. Anyways, it just gets bad. It gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, <laughs> instead, if you, if you, if you um, compare it to Cameron's theory, the simplest being that there could possibly be caused everything else. Hmm. There's only one cause thing and it's one entity. And that entity has caused everything else. That's very simple. You have a simple entity um, that can be described in very in, in, in very few words. So you have one fundamental entity that grounds the contingency of everything else. Mm -hmm. That's a that's that's a way simpler theory than what than a, than a multi an uncaused necessarily existing multiverse that's been around forever. So, mm -hmm. um, no, that is that is not a simpler theory. Not even getting into all the different. Um, of uh, views of simplicity, like uh, syntactic uh, syntactic simplicity versus ontological simplicity, um, views of parsimony, etc. We don't even need to get into that. It's just right out the gate. It's just not a simpler theory when we're comparing the two hypotheses. So I know that's kind of a winded answer, but um, that's what I have to say about that. All the theist really needs is a necessary mind that creates the universe. That's that's all we need. Um, and it seems like you just need a lot more for Stephen's theory to work. Do you have any thoughts, Josh? Uh, I, 
I have had some discussions about infinite universes and quilted universe theories, but I, I probably wouldn't go into it here. It'll be a bit too long, I think. <laughs> we'll plug your channel here because um, we're right about we've gone through everything here in a second. But do you have any thoughts with like, this bit and then we'll get into that? Uh, not really. I, I just I just agree with what Tim says. It's like so called uh, Stephen's so called simple theory isn't is using Stephen's words intuitively simple, but indeed actually very complex. <laughs> nice. I like that. Yeah. I mean, I think that we've, we we got into a little bit extra here with this totality bit. Um, so you guys kind of have like last thoughts you want to say about like everything in overall that we talked about here with with regards to like Stephen's um, objections to limits. -ish? Oh yeah, I also want to I I want to add another thing, which is, um, um, on Cameron uh, uh on Cameron's model too, the entity that creates everything else, um uh like we talked about doesn't have limits which makes it incredibly more simple because it doesn't have to specify specify an arbitrary cutoff in mm -hmm. power its knowledge and anything that's essential to it um so that's a lot simpler than having to specify an arbitrary cutoff um let's let's say in power for example um, that's going to be a lot simpler. Something that's unbounded is simpler than something that has no extension is simpler than something that has finite extension versus something that has, um, something that even has the ability to be extended in any amount is going to be simpler than something that has a finite extension with no explanation for why it has a finite degree of extension versus any lesser degree or further degree. So on Cameron's theory, it's going to, um, not have any arbitrary limits. So you don't have to specify anything. Um, there, so you can have less things to describe, and it's going to be all all the more a more elegant theory um, in total. Mm -hmm. It's going to have a very few principles to operate from, and least amount of fundamental entities. So, um, anyways, I just wanted to say that. Yeah. Do you have any kind of like last thoughts, Josh, before we start to wrap things up here? I like to say I really appreciate Stephen's effort and mm -hmm. and his interaction with Cameron over the collab. It's quite interesting and. Yeah, it's, it's nice how they actually do this not uh, two-hour debate, like actual debate format. It's more relaxed, more, I guess, you could go in-depth into the individual issues. And I appreciate the format. And yeah, it's a nice it's a nice discussion, all in all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, props, I just want to say, like, props to Stephen for diving into the argument from limits. Because when I think about, like, the big YouTube, like, atheists, like, maybe, like, Cosmic Skeptic or Paul Ogia or all of them, I don't know if anyone else that's responded to the argument from limits yet. So at least uh, props to Stephen for doing that. Um, so it's raising the bar a little bit. So it's a lot of fun. But um, to wrap things up here, guys, do you want to share like your channels and stuff, what you're doing? I know Josh is now an author and Tim is like 10 subs from a thousand before um, John Dunphy unsubscribes to him and puts him back to 999. So like sh share your stuff. <laughs> oh, man. Um, you know what, Josh, you go first, man. Plug yourself all right basically i have the channel apologetics for all it's basically there to find a simple explanation for christianity and philosophy of religion i also discuss a lot of literature russian literature like dostoyevsky and them i discuss it on my channel i do daily discussions about bible verses and uh and quotes from dostoyevsky and i've also recently published a book called christianity for all which is just kind of follows the same theme as my channel it's a simple awesome. guide to christianity it's basically there to not only guide you about how to be a better Christian from personal experience, it's also like, how do you deal with trials? How do you deal with persecution in like this growingly secular society we live in? 
And I also discuss like Christian morality, which is obviously quite controversial sometimes. Like I'll be going around school and and I have to like discuss with quite extreme left people and they'll be shouting all hurling all insults against me. But I mean, we see how that goes. I I just kind of provide my guide, my thought on this and a simple discussion about the existence of God at the very end. So that's kind of what the book is. That's kind of what my channel is. And feel free to check it out if you want. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, um, my channel is uh, Invoking Theism. My Twitter and uh, Facebook and Instagram is also by the same name. Go ahead and subscribe. Um, I produce videos when I can. Um, I also have a new blog as well. It's just invokingtheism.blogspot.com um, where I'll be um, typing out kind of my, my thoughts and um, also building out uh, ever-expanding list of uh what I think are the greatest resources for defending a theistic worldview. Um, Twitter is where I am most active in terms of social media. So if you ever want to see what I'm thinking about throughout the day, throughout the week, discussions I'm getting into, uh, go follow me on Twitter. Yeah, well, Tim and Josh, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a lot of fun today. I um, encourage you to go subscribe to Tim and Josh's channels. They're linked down below. Um, and yeah, thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Here in Apologetics. I uh, thank you everyone for tuning in. Um, thank you, Jesus, Elah, uh, Susan, everyone else. It's been a lot of fun. John Dunphy, the goat, uh, Ryan Polly, everyone else. And if you enjoy the show, you can support us on patreon.com slash here in apologetics. Right now we're about 85% funded. So I appreciate everyone's support through that. Um, but yeah, it's been so much fun, guys. Thank Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank you. See ya. Thank you everyone for tuning in. God bless. God bless.